you can see in your, in your handout that we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, and just one verse tonight, and uh, we'll use this as a uh, more of a topical message, but uh, this one particular verse, it's short, but it speaks a lot, and it's uh, verse 25, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 25, and it's real simple, brothers, pray for us, brothers, pray for us. If you're looking for a good uh, beginner verse for memory, scripture memory, here's a great one to start with. 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brothers, pray for us, the Apostle Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. So the title of the message is praying for others, praying for others. How many of us have ever been in need of prayer? We'd all say yes to that question, wouldn't we? How many of us have ever felt the prayers of others, meaning that you knew that people were praying for you, and it was evident God was working through those prayers. You felt the comfort. You felt the uh, hand of God at work. I know that I have, and I'm sure that you have. Uh, I think it's a sobering thing to know that there are other people praying for you, that you're not by yourself praying for yourself, but you have other people praying for you, and that is one of the great benefits and really the necessities of the local church. I don't know what I would do in life without the local church. I'm thankful God established such an institution. Uh, that we can have. Um, so prayer is a powerful tool that believers are privileged to use, and it is a privilege that moves the hand of God in ways really that we can't even understand. Uh, but we think about praying for ourselves and ourselves needing prayers, but then we also think about others who need our prayers, and we know that they beyond doubt need our prayers. There are times in life when, when it seems everything seems kind of maybe to going, be going smoothly, and there's not a whole lot of urgent requests, but then there's seasons when we have requests, have requests, have requests, and it's just like there's a season where we need to be praying, and such is life under the sun, isn't it? Uh, we go through mountains, we go through valleys, we have seasons where prayer is more urgent and uh, more greatly needed, it seems, and I think we would do well to request prayer when we are in need of that, um, but this is what really brings us to our text, is a request for prayer. Our text tonight is very short. But yet, very sweet, Paul says to the Thessalonians, brothers, pray for us. Pray for us. We look at the Apostle Paul, and we know that he was a mighty man of God, mighty man of faith. If we ever think of a strong, vibrant Christian, I mean, we think of the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's the Apostle we think of. Um, we might even think of him as a man who might be a little hesitant to ask prayer, right? Uh, sometimes we might be that way, hesitant to ask prayer for things we're going through. But it's always a good thing to have God's people praying for you. None of us are above the need of prayer. None of us are above that need. Um, and even the Apostle Paul, as, as great as a man of God he was, there's something the Apostle Paul needed, and that was prayer. Prayer. And this isn't the only place that he asks for prayer. He asks for prayer throughout the Scriptures, all the letters that he wrote to the churches. And as I read this short little passage, it causes me to think just about that, that little statement that's so short but yet has such a deep implication to it. Brothers, pray for us. You consider who's asking that and what he's asking. Now, we think about it in relation to our own selves. Do we know of others who need prayer? Well, I think we do. We've got a list tonight of people that need prayer, don't we? We have a long list of people to pray for, even in our church right now, people who need our prayers. We have... People with various burdens and things they're experiencing, various 
health concerns, various things coming up in people's futures, and things that are just unknowns to us, right? But we serve and worship a God who knows all things and is sovereign over all things, and he's a God who hears his people, and uh, I'm thankful for that. So just a few points I want to bring out to you tonight about praying for others that I think are just fundamental to prayer itself. Number one is the people who pray. Who is it that are the people who pray? Well, the people who pray are believers. Believers are the people who pray. You see, the essence of prayer or the practice of prayer is is a widely known practice to most of the world. Every religion has prayer in some way as part of its practice. But are all forms of prayer the same? Well, not really. Is prayer something anyone has the privilege of practicing? Well, we think answer that, not exactly. Okay, the answer to that, not exactly. While everyone can pray in the sense of what it means to pray, speak, and say, call upon a, a deity, what matters is whether or not that prayer is real and effectual. Because not everyone who says, oh, I'm going to pray, or I pray, is actually practicing prayer. What do you mean? Well, there's a couple requirements for what true prayer is. Well, the first requirement is that prayer must be to the right God. (laughs) Uh, A lot of people pray to different gods, right? But does that make their prayer valid and real? No. You see, if one is praying to a God who's not the true God, the one true God of the Bible, that prayer is as empty as air. It doesn't have any substance to it. It goes nowhere, and it goes to no one. So prayer in that sense is not true prayer at all. But a second requirement for true prayer, biblically speaking, is that it must be practiced by someone who can actually access the one true God. Does every person in this world have access to the one true God in prayer? The answer is no. Now that's a common idea is that, well, anybody can just pray to God and, you know, have their own conversation with him. But the reality is, no, not anyone can just have a conversation with God and Him actually hear and answer and honor their prayer. So, well, why is that? You see, prayer is a privilege reserved for those who are in Christ. And the reason for that is, is that we, and we're already aware of this, is that sin bars a person from God's presence in His honor. He does not hear the prayers of the unrighteous and the wicked. Why is that? Because they are in enmity with him. And he's in enmity with them until they come to be in Christ and know Christ alone. Proverbs 15, 29 tells us, The Lord is far from who? The wicked. But he hears the prayer of the righteous. He hears the prayer of the righteous. You see, the difference between the wicked and the believer is that a believer is not wicked or unrighteous before God. Say, well, why is that? The believer who is in Christ, they have been clothed with what? Righteousness. They've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so understand that because of conversion, because of who we are in Christ, you and I have been made believer priests who have direct access in Christ to God the Father. The picture of this is easily seen in the Old Testament, right? Who was allowed into the Holy of Holies? Was every, every Jew allowed in there? No. Was even every priest allowed in there? No. Only the great high priest. And even he had to come into that place 
with the blood atonement to offer atonement for the sins of the people and himself. If he came in there and did it wrong, what happened to that high priest? He didn't come out there alive. He was a dead man. And all of that kind of portrays how holy the presence of God is, like we talked last Wednesday, and how sacred his presence is. And what we find is that with, with the believer in Christ, Christ is now our great high priest, and by him we have access to God the Father. Now, I've referenced this text and, and, and preached it before, but I'll reference it for this, for this particular point again. It's Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. I, I love this passage just as a reminder and by way of our great privilege that we have in Christ of as believer priests and being able to come to the throne of grace. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, because of this truth is what he's saying, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of who Christ is and what he's done and who we are in him, he says, come with confidence to the throne of grace. We access the throne of grace by means of prayer, by means of coming before him. We don't deserve that privilege but yet it is the privilege of the believer. And as Paul notes here, what does he call the Thessalonians here when he says to pray for them? How does he identify them? He identifies them as brothers. You ever wonder why we call each other brother and sister? I usually try to say that. Sometimes I forget, but I'll say brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. And we're not blood relatives, but we are heavenly relatives. We're part of the family of God people who are in Christ. And so calling them brothers, he's recognizing them as those who are God's children and who have access to God. He knows that the Thessalonians can pray on his behalf and that their prayers will be heard and have an effectual result towards him. And that's why he told them earlier, just a few verses earlier in verse 17, he also told them here, another great verse to memorize, he told them to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That's an imperative to them. So we have, we think about us. It, it should be the regular practice of our life to pray. It should be the regular practice of the local church to be a people who pray together. And we see Paul exhorting them in that fashion. So we, we, we want to fulfill that. Number two, we see not only the, the people who pray, but the people who need prayer. The people who need prayer. And this is just maybe some categories that we think of people to pray for. First one I'll bring out to our attention just briefly in each one of these is that we pray for those who are laboring. Pray for those who are laboring. Right here in this example, Paul's request, he says pray for us. Why does Paul request prayer for himself and those with him? Because they were laboring for the kingdom of God. They were missionaries. They were servants of Christ. They were preaching the word of God. They were seeking to take Christ where Christ was not known. And that often brought great danger to them. They were giving themselves to feed the flock of God, to plant churches, to spread the gospel. Those who labor in such a way, they are in constant need of the prayers of God's people. And I, I will re rehash this to you, and you know this, and I already know that you do this, but always pray for me as your pastor. 
pray for those other pastors that we know, Brother Harold and other, others in other local churches that we, beloved brothers we know, pray for your missionaries. Here's what he says in another passage of Scripture, 2 Thessalonians 3.1. Finally, brothers, again he calls on them, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. See, Paul's deep desire is that the word of God prevails and goes forth and is fruitful. He wants his ministry to be fruitful, and he desires the prayers of God's people for that. But not only that, he also desires prayer for protection from wicked men. You see, there are great enemies against God's men who are serving him, he say he or here he references wicked and evil men, but we know it goes beyond that to the spiritual forces of darkness and and satanic influence. We know there's all kinds of opposition that opposes the ministry of the gospel, and so gospel ministers understand they are under heavy attack from Satan, from evil people, and from evil forces. So we must pray for all of Christ's servants. Pray for pastors. Pray for missionaries. But don't stop there. Pray for all Christians who are seeking to live for the glory of Christ. One of the routine things of my life every week is to pray for you all, to pray for the local church, to pray for the people of God. My prayer is for each of you always, not only with your specific needs that maybe you mention and request, but also that God would sanctify you, also that God would strengthen you and sustain you in your Christian life. That's my prayer for this church body and for you individually. I pray God uses you as a light for Christ wherever you may be and whatever you may be doing uh, because that's what our call is to be. And I think that's another point that you see in Paul. You go read Colossians, which I'm reading devotionally right now. It kind of goes along with Ephesians. Paul urges in his prayer, he reflects what his prayer is for them. He prays for them that they might know and grow in the knowledge and will of God, in their love for each other, in their maturity in Christ. And so praying for each other in this way is very vital. Letter B, we also ought to pray not only for those who are Christians, those uh, who are laboring, but we also pray for those who are wandering. You say, well, who are those who are wandering? It is those who are lost in their sins those who are unregenerate people, those who are spiritually dead, spiritually blind. They wander through life. You understand that there are so many people who wander through life without any knowledge or recognition of how desperately they need to be saved from their sins. They wander through life thinking all is fine, nothing, nothing to worry about, really. They know death is coming, but they don't really think much about it. They don't see the truth, right? See, if anyone needs prayer, it is the lost sinners who are around us. Now, we probably know many by name who are near and dear to us. My prayer every day is that God would save my children as they come up to the age where they start to understand and, and uh, you know, the gospel speaks to them. My prayer is that God would save them. I pray that every day. You ought to pray that for your children, for your grandchildren. For all of the youth in our church, we're blessed to have some babies in this church, and Lord willing, we're going to have more babies coming into this church. And young people, our prayer ought to be that God would save these, these children as they come of age and save those visitors who come into this building who do not know Christ. We, are, we must have a heart for the lost. 
We must have a heart for the lost. We must have a heart for those who don't know Christ. This was Paul's desire for his own kinsmen in the flesh, the Jewish people. He said in Romans 10.1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. <laughs> he wants his people, ethnically speaking, the Jewish people, those who he came from, those who condemned Christ and crucified him, he wants them to see that Christ really is the one that they've been waiting for. He's the one who came. He's the one who, who, who died for sin and atoned for sin. Such deep blindness and depravity was in them, but yet Paul desires them to be saved. See, does Paul truly believe that prayer can make a difference in the lost? Absolutely he does. In fact, if you really don't see the sovereign grace of God, I don't know how you can pray for the lost. When you really iron out what that means. You understand that everyone in their prayers, whether they accept the doctrines of grace or not, they pray like someone who believes in sovereign grace. Oh, Lord, change their heart. Well, does he have the right to change their heart? Does he have the right to open their heart? Absolutely he does. That is why we pray for the lost, right? You see, we pray for the lost who are dead and blind in their sins because God alone has the power to awaken them, to give them new life and to open their eyes, to open their heart. You see, Paul experienced that firsthand, did he not? He was a rebel Jew. He was one who thought he was doing all the right things, persecuting Christ, following faithfully in his religion, and Christ struck him down on the road to Damascus. Paul knew the power of God's sovereign grace. And God, understand this, Paul knows that God can change their hearts just like he changed his heart. And here's what we have to understand too, is that just as God could change our heart in conversion and opening our eyes to see the gospel, he can do that for anybody. He can do that for anybody. So do you know someone who is lost? Pray for their salvation. Pray for their salvation, that the gospel would penetrate their heart. Do you see someone who is exceedingly wicked? Pray for their conversion. I love this quote by George, George Whitfield, great, great Calvinist preacher of years ago, one of the most evangelist men who's probably ever preached the gospel. He says, when you hear of a notorious sinner, instead of thinking you do well to be angry, beg of Jesus Christ to convert and make him a monument of his free grace. You understand, the greater the wickedness in a person, the greater monument of grace that can be displayed. And that's how I view it. That's how we ought to view it. You say, don't, don't ever see somebody as, oh, they're just too far gone. See them as someone who God can make great bring great glory to himself in. Never underestimate the power of God's saving grace. Letter C, not only do we pray for those who are wandering, those who are lost in sin, we also pray for those who are suffering. That really comes down to us who we know are going through various trials and experiences. We understand this, that, that suffering is part of the Christian experience. It's to be expected. If we ever think that, that, that suffering is an affliction or something that's you know, kind of foreign to the Christian life, that's, that's not reading the Bible for what it says about the Christian life, right? Many people think that in this day and age because there is a cotton candy form of Christianity that's promoted, especially in our American culture, where if you come to know Christ and you, you come to know God, that everything's just going to be a bit, you know, a bit of rose petals, right? Peachy and fine, right? That's just not how it is. In fact, you come to know Christ, 
you're entering into a whole new world in which not only do you have the world, the flesh, and the devil working against you, but you also have God using trials and affliction to grow you and make you more like Christ. All of it's tied together. Here's what Peter said about expecting trials. 1 Peter 4.12, he said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some stra- something strange were happening to you. In other words, when you enter the fires of affliction, don't think that that's some odd anomaly. That's to be expected. You see, Christians especially, we, we suffer physically. We may suffer mentally. We may suffer emotionally in various ways. And through various means, such suffering is indeed a test of the faith of the one in affliction. In affliction, But with suffering comes also the need for prayer. The need for prayer. It only increases. See, anyone who is in the midst of suffering covets the prayers of God's people. Because trials, they are not easy to go through, are they? Trials are an affliction. They're not easy. They're often tough. They require extra strength. And who alone can give us the extra strength that we need? It is Christ. It is God. You know, Jesus knew this, and he prayed for Peter before Peter went through his own trial and temptation with Christ's arrest. He said to Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, he says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brother. He knew Peter was going to fail, but he also knew that, you know what, I'm going to strengthen you through that. You're going to come out on the other side of this, Peter. And so Peter prayed for, I mean, Jesus prayed for Peter. But, you know, you go read John 17, you read the glorious high priestly prayer of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you <laughs> even today? He, said, he, he prayed not only for his disciples then, but on those who would believe through his word. And that trickles down all the way to us, because guess what? We have believed through their word that he used to pen through the word of God. We know of several who are experiencing trials, even some trials that have gone on for some time maybe. Some are physical, some are spiritual, maybe they're marital, maybe they're financial. Whatever kind of trial it may be, those going through those trials need the prayers of God's people. As Paul told the church in Rome in Romans 12, 12, he said, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. And this ties into letter D. We also pray not only for those who are suffering, but those who are hurting. Those who are hurting, this may tie into more of mourning and experiencing pain. One of the greatest hurts is the experience of loss of a loved one. We've all experienced that. Mourning is a very painful experience that all of us experience or go through in this life under the sun. It's a deep pain when someone we love departs this world, especially when it's shocking or unexpected. Those who are hurting in such a way need the comfort of God. And I will never forget when dad passed away so shockingly and, and, you know, surprisingly to us how much we felt the prayers of God's people during that time. There was a comfort that could not have come from anywhere else but God. It It wasn't anything in this world. You know, there wasn't a favorite TV show that could distract me and take my mind off of it. It wasn't a favorite meal that might bring me enough comfort or anything of that nature. It was simply spiritual in nature. The comfort of God. Something that really you can't explain. It's something that comes from him. And 2 Corinthians 1 is a great passage, I think, that will connect this a little bit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 4, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies 
and the God of all comfort. I love that title, that description he gives, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, God often will use his people as a means of answering the prayer of comforting others. How many of us have ever experienced that? God's people being there for you, speaking to you, fellowshipping with you, encouraging you. See, we may give comfort to others through those sorts of things, and a lot of the afflictions that we experience, they are meant to be used as a means of comforting other people as they go through those things. It's like a domino effect. I've went through this. God brought me through it. Let me help you through this too. We bear the burdens of others in that way. But we see God as the God of all comfort. And prayer is a key factor in the comfort and strength for those who are hurting. Number three, when we think about praying for others, we've seen the people who pray. We see the people who need prayer. But then I want you to see and just remind you about the power that comes in prayer, the power in prayer. When we think about God's power in prayer, we understand that power the, the, the power in prayer is not in the prayer itself. It is in the person we pray to. God's hand is at work when the saints pray. God's hand is at work when the saints pray. Some, someone said this, and I, I don't remember who said it, but uh, I think it's an interesting quote. It says, the devil trembles when he sees even the weakest saint upon his knees. Why is that? Because it's not about our strength. It's about the strength of the one we pray to. You see, Paul knows that if the Thessalonians pray for him, their prayers move the hand of God on behalf of Paul and his ministry. That's why prayer is so important. Because prayer is powerful, beyond what we really can conceive. It moves the hand of God. The very God who spoke into existence everything out of nothing, that God, the one true God. We've seen it time and time again, I'm sure, both in the scriptures, but also maybe in our own lives, when God has answered prayer in ways that we didn't think were possible. One example that always comes to my mind, and I, as far as Scripture is saying, is Acts 12, 5. When Peter was arrested and put in prison, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by God, to God, by the church. Peter was miraculously set free. Thomas Watson comments on this, and I love this quote. He says, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. <laughs> Isn't that good? The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was, the pray it was prayer that fetched the angel. I think it's interesting sometimes that we may pray and maybe not ex expect God to actually answer that prayer. You ever prayed as a routine, but you're not really sure what might happen from that? The early church did that. You remember how they prayed for Peter to be free, and Peter comes and knocks on the door, and <laughs> the woman goes to the door and says, Hey, guys, Peter's here. Oh, that can't be him. <laughs> They're in there praying. That very moment, they're praying for Peter, but they don't believe that Peter could be free and at the door. I just find that somewhat ironic because we're kind of the same way, don't we? When it comes to our own lives, we see God's hand has worked powerfully among us and even people we know. We think of people who have come through different things that are, were very dangerous or very, uh, very, very things that were threatening to their life. Maybe they have a good health report that came back that was... We didn't think was going to happen. Maybe they've been protected through danger, through a wreck, or through some kind of injurious thing, come through a surgery, whatever it may be. 
Prayer is the link to all those victories, all of those deliverances. As James said, in James 5.16, to the church, or those Christians, he said, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in, as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So I want to remind us that, of that tonight, that we as the church of God, there is great power in prayer, and we have the greatest privilege in being able to pray. Like I said at the beginning, who are the people who can actually pray? It is the people of God, those who know Christ. And prayer is the most powerful weapon and tool that you and I possess. That alongside with the Word of God, we ought to use it together. We've got to be a church that prays, and I'm thankful that we are a church that prays. I have no doubt that we are a church of prayer. I believe God blesses that.